Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about my OD&D with Chainmail system that I'm working on and creating, and some experiences I've had in the playtesting it as of late. Also, I've got a great call from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, so let's get to it. So I've got a group now that is between 4th and 6th level. They, for the most part, all have magic swords, and they've been we've been using the what i call the troop combat although i'm changing the names of these things as we progress system because they've been fighting a lot of non-human monsters right they've been fighting things like giant worms and you know beastless chimeras and stuff like that so they haven't really used the man-to-man system so much and when they have fought like regular armed people they've fought them in mass so we've used the troop combat system for that We've done a little bit of fantasy combat, but we've done very little man-to-man. I think early on I might have used it like once. But they got into a situation this last session where they encountered a 7th level cleric and 6 or 7 of their followers who were fighters, who all had swords, and all of them, well, the cleric had a mace, and all of them were in plate mail armor. So when the party came into this in this situation, they basically all had their magical swords up because it's OD&D. Magical swords are everywhere. All the fighters have them. I also have a new house rule, which I don't know I've talked about yet, that I allow regular magic users, not just elven ones, to use any weapon. But when they do, they, they subtract one, quote, man from their fighting. So basically, they need to be at least at two men, which is like third level before they can even do that. So our fourth level magic user is able to do it. It's long and short. So we have a magic user with a sword plus one. We've got an elf with a sword plus two. We have a dwarf with a sword plus one. We had a cleric with a mace. And we had a bunch of monks that were no weapons at all against this group. So I said, you know what? I'm going to use man-to-man because we're the odds are pretty close to one-to-one. And I want to use more man-to-man. So let's get to it. Well, in the beginning of the combat, the party was kind of getting their butts kicked. Because when we look at what a sword against plate mail needs, plate mail and shield, what most of them had, they need an 11 on two dice. And even with the plus two of the elf, they were basically needing to roll a nine or better to even score one hit against these guys. And the elf, unfortunately, chose to, well, maybe fortunately, because they're one of the more powerful fighters, they chose to fight the, the cleric, who was seven hit nine, had a, sh- ooh, I almost swore there, a bunch of hit points. <laughs> so, and the cleric was using a mace against the fighter's plate mail and only needed a seven. And they were rolling four dice. So the, I think I said fighter, but elf. So they were basically kicking their butt. And what's interesting here is we went like, now the cleric in the group was taking people down left and right. We got like halfway through the combat. So like maybe four rounds into combat. And what happened was I literally had to say something. I said, don't you guys have other weapons? <laughs> and of course they all start looking at their sheets and the elf's like, oh, I have a battle axe. Hold on. And he looked at the sheet. The battle axe had a better chance of hitting for him. I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been one better. And then the, the dwarf was like, oh, I actually have a, um, a Warhammer. <laughs> and, and actually, it was magical. And I'm like, a Warhammer's way better against plate mail. So they they scattered. The magic user did not. They basically backed up because they were kind of getting their, you know, they were going to get themselves in trouble. So they were uh, they were in the back, like, you know, doing other things. The monks, I was, because they're special monks that I've developed, I, they fight with their hands as maces. So they were actually doing pretty good against these guys. And in the end... Once they switched up their weapons, the party was victorious. The elf ended up going down, but luckily they had a healing spell, so they were able to bring them back. But long story short, without having, if they hadn't switched weapons, they probably may have lost this combat. And at first I thought, you know, I was on the, the train, yeah, I was going home, and I thought to myself, 
wow, maybe the numbers are off because in troop combat, I feel like that wouldn't have been so difficult. But then I was looking at troop combat, and if we look at the troop combat, the elf who fights as three men, and men is basically the number of, so if you don't know how chainmail works, they use the word men, but effectively it's the number of people, and in my new version, I'm calling it figures, so I might go back and forth and say figures and men sometimes, but basically it, it, they get three attacks. You can think of it that way. So, you know, if a regular soldier gets one attack, a somebody fighting as three gets three. So the elf was basically rolling to hit three times and they needed that nine or better because they had a plus two sword. And so it was hard, right? But I'm like, well, let's look at troop combat. And when I looked at troop combat against armored foot, which is what plate would be, a sword is one die per two men, right? Which means the elf would have only rolled one die and added two more dice because a sword, a plus two sword, and which meant they would have rolled three dice and then and any sixes would have been hits. Now, because I was using uh, simultaneous hits, not cumulative in this, that means that all these warriors that were defending the cleric would have needed two or three hits to go down. So, and of course the cleric would have needed seven, <laughs> right? Which means it would have been impossible for the elf to beat the cleric in our, in troop combat. I guess what I'm getting at here is that it's more balanced than I thought it was, which Chainmail continues to surprise me like that, where things actually just kind of work out. One other thing I want to mention is there is fantasy combat, and we did talk about that a little bit, but in the end, it didn't make sense to use it. And I'm still kind of, they're reaching the point now where fantasy combat is becoming more and more an option, and we're going to have to see how that works out. So I'll probably talk a lot more about the fantasy combat as we keep going. But in this case, the, the smart options were either troop or man-to-man, and we went with they they went with man to man. I mean, I usually let the players decide, uh, unless it just very like if it was like a hundred goblins with short swords against the players, I would not do man to man even if they wanted to do it because that would just be silly. But in any case, going around circles here, my point being is that we learned a bunch of stuff. One was that weapons are super important, and two is that if the if they're not normally important to people, if people aren't thinking about it, because remember in troop combat a mace and a sword are both heavy foot so they're both the same so the character or the battle axe i should say so the character with the battle axe and the sword is thinking i have a magic sword of course that's the better weapon for me but in fact the battle axe was a better weapon and this is something that i think we need to really consider when we're introducing new people to this kind of a system or a system that has these variables we need to create circumstances as gms or referees where they get to use them, right? Because because they hadn't really used man-to-man -man combat, they didn't understand or realize or figure that, like, why would a plain mace be better than my plus two sword? In any other version of d and I've ever played, that would not really be the case, right? So, I, I, except if you did AD&D with the armor versus... But anyways, that's, again, that's something people didn't use that much. So what we're looking at here is... When you have systems in the game that are specific and that can benefit the players or benefit the monsters or whatever, we want to make it clear, I think, is what I'm learning here, to the players. And I'm not one that's opposed to the whole out of game or out of character, whatever we want to call it, conversation. I am not opposed as a DM to stopping in the middle of combat and saying, hey, you realize the way these rules work. If you did this, it would be better for you. I want my games to be about the players solving problems and, and coming up with awesome solutions but I also want them to understand the rules. And I think there's a big difference between saying, hey, you know, if you use your mace, you'll have a better chance of hitting them than saying, oh, you should prepare these spells or I'll just give the puzzle to you if you roll a die kind of thing, right? So 
it's definitely not the same. And I think sometimes it can be hard as a GM to step out of the, oh, we want to keep, you know, a mystery in the air versus we need to make sure they understand the rules. So that's kind of what I learned. And I guess we're going to do more man-to-man combat. At first, at the end of the night, I thought, wow, the hit point thing was really rough on the players. <laughs> you know, I wonder if we're not better off using the simultaneous hits like Taylor over at Clerics where Ringmail is using. But with my calculations, I don't think they're really right for what I'm doing right now. And hopefully, maybe I can get together with Taylor again. We talked once on Cerebivore. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But uh, maybe we can get together again at some point, Taylor, if you're listening to this, and do another chat about this as you play out the simultaneous hits and using man-to-man a lot more than I am so I can see what you're coming up with because it sounds like you're creating some cool stuff. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Really enjoyed your recent episode on psionics and homebrew magic, all that kind of thing. I don't think your YouTube videos dropped at the time of this call on your psionic system, but I agree that doing some kind of stat burn or taking damage makes sense for psionics, more so the magic. I, I kind of like spell burn in Dungeon Crawl Classics, but I agree that it definitely gets abused in convention games and one-shots because people, you know, burn all their stats down to nothing at the end of the adventure because they know, well, it's a one-shot. We're in an ongoing adventure because how long it takes to come back, they might not do that. But I like the idea of having psionics. I mean, you know, or I recently rewatched Scanners. David Cronenberg scanners and you watch that and you see the damage they do to their bodies when they're trying to really push themselves in using their abilities. And, and I, I really like that. So I, I would definitely be okay with that as part of a psionic system. And as far as having custom magic using classes and they come up with their own way of casting spells and, you know, their own way their spells look and whether they're making fetishes or do, doing whatever, I, I also think that's a very cool thing. And I don't see, and like you said, you know, if it's too powerful, you rework it. But I I have zero problem with any of that at somebody's table. I think that makes a lot of sense. It makes for really unique characters and it can help the care, help the player really get into the game because they have this custom character that they created with the DM. And so they're a lot more invested than they are if they're just playing something out of the book. So I'm all for that. I yeah, I, I don't know what else to say other than kudos. Um, looking forward to the video and keep up the great work. Thanks, Jason. That was Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. The video on Sonics has dropped since then. Unfortunately, I don't have any cool scanners uh, <laughs> combat in mind. If, if I make another version of Sonics, I think I will definitely include some kind of combat because I really do think psionic combat is such an interesting and fun thing. And I don't know. My experience has told me now that the idea that just because only one person at the table can do it doesn't mean that it's going to be terribly unfun. I think when I first got back into playing, people that were giving advice were like, don't have something that only one player can do because the rest of the table will just get up and get on their phones and go on a date or, you know, go down and have dinner <laughs> you know, or something. It's like this is like the don't split the party idea, right? Like the rest of the group is bored. But I think that just comes down to how you run. You know, if I have psionics in my game and only that one player can do psionic combat, hopefully I'm making it fun enough that everybody else wants to listen and be involved and also not so complicated that it takes up everybody's time so much that, they, that they're like, why are we sitting here for 10 minutes watching this? I think the bouncing back and forth, and maybe this is a good subject for a podcast, the bouncing back and forth between different scenes is a really fun or can be a really fun technique to use with your group as long as you balance it out and, you know, it's not boring, which can happen even if the whole group is participating, to be honest with you.
<laughs> in any case, uh, thanks, Jason, for calling in. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to be like Jason and have your, have your voice on the show, well, that sounds like I'm doing something like, if you'd like to be like Jason and have your voice on the show, uh, you can call in. There's a link in the show notes below to go to the Anchor app to do so. You could also join my Discord server. Link to that as well. There'll also be a link down there to the Sionix video that he's, that he's re- referencing, that Jason's referencing, and also to a uh, my Patreon. If you want to support me on Patreon, that's amazing. And what else? Oh, the document to to play the chainmail with OD&D that I'm working on. All that stuff will be in the show notes, so check that out. Give me a call, and I'll talk to you soon.